Ah, good luck. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go pretty. That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not believe them. Marshall skips away, Marshall skips away. Marshall's still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats O'Davis on the outside. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast prepared to invest in its own breast milk thick shake company. I'm your host, Damon Brown, and today on the show, we'll be discussing all of the shit show that was Magic Round, plus a whole lot more, obviously. But first, I'm joined in the Sports Best Friends studio by Xander Rosotto and Media Watch Mario on the panel. Welcome, lads. Good to be here, mate. It's magical. Feels magical, doesn't it? I almost feel a little uh, bit, a little bit Harry Potterish, even though I've never read any of the books or seen any of the movies. There's, there's just a tad controversy in the media at the moment. Oh, Ray Warren in the house with the controversy. You're right, mate. This, the timing is perfect, and uh, again, we should just act as though that's intentional and it's not just a case of us not being able to get our collective shit together because it just feels good if we say we deliberately ride the wave of controversy. Uh, but you know what I'm really concerned about is the fact that. You know, I've just told you guys that I have my own breast milk thick shake company and nobody's bothered to ask me about it. Is it profitable? Why have you done it? Nothing. I just assume that you're inspired by the, you know, the kind of stuff Gwyneth Paltrow offers and you're trying to, you know, put out the voluntary tackle version. I've actually thought about that, Mario, because, you know, obviously when it's the moment I heard that uh, Gwyneth Paltrow had a candle that smelt like a vagina, I thought, wow, what a commercial winner. How can the TVT do the same and obviously, I don't know if you know this, but this uh, breast milk, it is TVT branded. It'll be a profit share. You know, the profit will eventually get down to you guys. Uh, a bit like trickle-down economics. It won't happen straight away or if ever. So just out of curiosity, who is this um, this uh, breast milk smoothie targeted at in the market? Because I have heard, um, I have I have a number of uh, uh, friends who have had kids now, uh, including yourself, but um, that there are women making thousands of dollars selling their excess breast milk to bodybuilders because it's, that's a thing no particular target market i just knew there was a bit of a surplus of breast milk in the house and i thought outside of putting the odd shot in my earl gray tea i need to get some kind of side hustle going you know as they say nine out of ten dairy perverts can't be wrong something uh, mario revealed uh, just before we went to air was quite interesting it was medical mario and um being the kind of rugby league podcast that we are and this is completely up to you whether or not you want to reveal it, obviously. But can you let the listeners know what you've been doing this week? Well, I've been feeling a little bit down this week because, as I may or may not have mentioned, I have a marathon coming up in, in a few weeks' time, which will be my first time doing it. And, you know, lots of very hard training for that, et cetera, et cetera. The problem was I went and scheduled myself a vasectomy for Friday Just Gone. And then I find out that, uh, oops, I can't run for a week. We, and, you know, three weeks out from a marathon, that's not ideal training. Mate, can I ask you this? Uh, when you're scheduling your diary and you thought, mm, okay, I'm going to do the marathon on the Sunday, I think I could squeeze the vasectomy in on the Saturday. Did you think just from a purely scheduling point of view that that was a bad idea? Had I thought about it, you know, if you're crediting me for advanced thinking, then absolutely. But the, the reality is I had been you know, meaning to schedule this for some time, kept forgetting. So I just rang them up and said, you know, when's your date? They said, oh, that's the date we can do. I said, okay, lock me in and <laughs> didn't give it much thought. Also didn't think it was going to affect my running. I thought maybe the first day I couldn't run and that would be okay. 
Oops. Out of curiosity, because I'm, I'm hoping this is still a few years away from me, but was it painful? The word you'd use, I'd say, would be uncomfortable rather than painful. It, it just, it was never, unless you're really, really shit scared of needles, you know, th- three needles in the old fella is probably not the, the greatest thing you're ever going to experience, but it wasn't that bad. Um, it was just, yeah, awkward. And I'm not really a fan of having everything, you know, flashing out for a doctor and a nurse to be playing with. It felt rather awkward. Just to jump in there, I mean, if, if, if they're playing with it, I think you may not have gone to a medical clinic. I think that uh, that might have been a time massage parlor. It's more how it felt from my point of view. What they were actually doing, I tried not to look. I think Zed is quite on the money there. If if you must go down the lane of having a, a vasectomy, I would have thought at least you'd have a hooker do it. Um, it would probably just to take a bit of the edge off it. Not not a male not a male physician, but I don't know if it's the right thing to do, mate. But congratulations. Um, I don't they, I, mean, I don't know if that's kosher to congratulate someone who's had a vasectomy, but well done. More power to you. And, uh, you know, muzzle-tough? yeah, muzzle tough. Let's, let's leave it with that. But look, I'm probably okay. um, stretching the, <laughs> the patience of our listeners a little bit because they're here for rugby league and guys, there can be no other thing to talk about than magic round. Uh, as Xander alluded to earlier, it was slightly controversial. The PVL mandate to cut down on high tackles has caused a fair bit of a stir. Um, I was trying to think of the right way to sort of broach this. And I thought we'd just start with this question first up. Was this the right way to go about limiting concussions? And was choosing the showpiece round of magic round the right time to make the push? So there is some context here. Um, in answer to your first question, this appears to be a, uh, a tried and true, um, I suppose, approach to limiting contact to the head. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but they've, they've obviously trailed out across the union about four or five years ago now, in in the exact same in the exact same way, um, but uh, in terms of whether or not it should have been done on magic round, apparently this was meant to be rolled out earlier. Um, it's just that the referees weren't implementing it. So basically, HQ just said, "Look, um, after the stuff ups with um, uh, the uh, uh, you know officiating the last couple of weeks, particularly the Eels Roosters game and uh, the shocking images that came from that." They basically just put the hammer down and they said, it's now or never. And in a sense, I think they were probably um, taking the view that, you know, this is a round that gets a lot of attention. And uh, for the market they're trying to reach, the people who think the game's too rough, maybe it was a good opportunity. So you think that it was actually quite deliberate. It wasn't a case of serendipity. It was, let's wait for the, probably the most high profile round outside. No, no, that's not what I said. I said, I said, um, I said they've been trying to do this for several weeks and they've been ignored. And um, the last week was the, ca- the, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, and they pushed it hard this week. Not, I don't think they were worried that uh, this would be a bad time to do it because it's a high-profile event. I thought that they would, they would have seen this as well. This could actually work in their favour. I think there was some serendipity there. But I don't think it was, oh, you know, uh, let's do it specifically on magic ground. Like I said, they've been trying to do this for a little while. Now, I, I want to sort of hold you to that. So when you say they've been trying to do it for a little while, what was stopping yeah. them? The referees weren't implementing it. That's why they sacked the video ref- officials in the game against the Roosters, is that they'd given them an edict that they needed to come down on these sorts of things. And um, if you listen to uh, the reporting in the papers, uh, Michael Chamis and others, they you know have said that um, basically they weren't getting the results from the officials 
And that resulted in them elevating it and basically making it much harsher and much more black and white because um, the old culture of the officialdom wasn't reflecting the will of HQ. But, you know, when you say the referees... And that's how you saw a ridiculous situation um, that you had with uh, the Tedesco uh, knocks and, uh, you know, 20 minutes of deliberation before they could come to a decision. Yeah, that was and- what caused this. So you're saying it's a, it's a deliberate reaction to a singular event? Yeah, it's, it's a loss of patience. So when you say the referees aren't implementing it, though, that was one set of referees and one video ref who had a howler in one match. I, I feel like it's tough to to sort of there, categorize that. There's been a few. So the, the view is there, there's, around there's been a few. Aren't... No, no, you're missing the point. Um, there, there was a view that this was a particularly egregious incident, but that there had been a cascading and a growing number of um, confusion over who should be sinned and sent off for what, and that they needed to make a snap decision to make it clear what the what the directive was. It wasn't. Oh, there's one bunch of guys who've stuffed up. They basically had collected data and said, "This is a bigger problem than just this game. This game has just made it the most pronounced. We need to make a decision that makes it clear this is what's happened." Well, Mario, look, I'll bring you in here, mate. But surely the way I'm reading that is there've been isn't it been evidence around for a long time, not just out of that one round, that concussion is a problem and that head high tackles are a problem. It would seem weird to me to implement this this round on the basis of one incident in one game. I think it was indeed very deliberate to bring it in for Magic Round. I mean, I'm not denying anything that Xander has just said, but I would actually suggest they brought it in because they knew full well, based on the lineups and the way the rounds had gone so far, that there wasn't going to be more than one or two interesting games and there were going to be blowouts. So to distract from the fact that the quality of the football was shit, They'll just, you know, have perfect round for the crackdown and with the added benefits of, you know, potentially new markets seeing it for the first time and thinking, oh, good on good on these people for, you know, being responsible. I don't think that's how they view it, though. I don't think they're like, oh, this is going to be a bunch of shit games. Let's roll it out now. I don't think that's how they view it in the, in the um, decision-making circles. I, I do think it was one of those things. You don't want to read too much into it and think of conspiracies. I think it's, it's literally just a cascading of decision-makers uh, and people who obviously this has been a trend since the start of the year. You know, we've seen more sin bins this year than most years. And this is this is just the logical conclusion of it. As you said, Eamon, you know, like they've known this has a, been a problem for a while. And Trent Robinson in particular has been a crusader on the um, inconsistencies and the difficulty the game has had in adjudicating high contacts. And uh, he talked earlier in the year uh, in uh, explicitly about how the uh, – the game was in a weird place where they're kind of stuck between, you know, uh, where they used to be and where rugby union had gotten to. Well, I guess my big question here is, I mean, obviously I think we're all in agreement that, you know, there has to be more done to prevent concussion and long-term brain injury, but why not, if we've known about this for a while, why not have done this pre-season? You know, why did I see Peter Volandi's so adamant and so forthright in interviews following Magic Round and defending the position of the welfare of the games players, but clearly have not have had anything in place along these lines pre-season. Is this just been a sudden epiphany? In no, well, that's, that's that's my point, right? Like the point is, and this is what the reporting has been saying, is that uh, in the off-season they did make a decision they wanted to come down harder on high contact. They've just been, you know, and it's been a fault of the league. They 
they didn't come down hard enough and the kind of softly, softly approach with the, um, the referees um, that, you know, you need to do come, you know, you need to apply the rules more strictly here and there clearly wasn't being done uh, in a way that was consistent and there hadn't been a clear enough directive. And so they just got to a point where, you know, there were enough embarrassing incidents where they just had to go 1990s and take a hard line. What were the embarrassing incidents? I'd obviously know about the the Brewsters, the Hutch incident yeah. and Tedesco. I, I haven't noticed necessarily. Well, the Kafusi major... incident earlier in the year on on Madison that was a huge that was a huge embarrassment. Like that was that was a that was an, another big data point. Kafusi, yeah, but, like that should have Zander, that should have gone to the bin. There was a huge... but Xander he hardly got punished for that. He went to judiciary. Well, that's and the point. So, but if you're saying yeah, they've had this, but you're saying the game had this view pre-season. That's happened in, yeah. in during the season, and they haven't come down hard on it at the judiciary. So yeah, and it, it's it, it's again like that's that's the point is it that the people they've had in the judiciary and that the entire system just hasn't worked. They've obviously had a view, and I think this is partially just the, the you know the function of uh, the way head office works and the way it communicates with these bodies is it's just not that efficient. And they've they've obviously got a they've had a view that's come come through, and you know. If you've any any time you work in a complex system with established people, um, there are going to be people who'll sort of look at those directives and go, "Yeah, nah, um, that was still soft contact," and they'll keep pushing the old way until they're forced to do it a different way. And that's well, Murray, that's how I think it's happened. Yeah. Well, Murray, I'll put it to you this way: that if if Xander's right and they've the NRL have sat down and said pre-season we really want to get serious about this, and it's just been a failing of comms and a really. I guess the frailties of the organization PVL has been doing the rounds saying, you know, I sent an email two weeks ago to coaches and clubs. So they should have known about this, but I'm thinking to myself, an email a fortnight ago. I mean, this, this is a fairly seismic change in trajectory in the way that the game is officiated. Surely this deserved more than an email. It required a briefing in person across the code in a uniform way to drill into everyone. What course the game is going to take. If Wayne Bennett, for example, he probably is not even on email. Inter- interestingly, these- though, Ben, it isn't is one of the ones that isn't complaining that much about it, though, right? Interestingly, him and Robbo were both um, um, pretty sanguine. No, I actually thought Bennett was way more critical than than Robbo was more philosophical. It's really such a tough one, isn't it? The, the thing is, I, I don't, I don't. PVL has had this sort of habit of just doing knee jerk reactions to things based on imaginary online polls and stuff. So I don't. I can't pretend to understand what's going on in his head with with all of this, but I like the crackdown. I think it's been implemented 99% right. And honestly, I'm just, I was just glad to see it in the end. I'm not that fussed about the the minutiae of it and the and why why it was done or the timing as long as it's being done. Because it's just, it's a, a thing that needs to happen in the game. It does. You mentioned um, the Kafusi hit from earlier this year on Ryan Madison, and it absolutely pisses me off that yet again on the re- weekend, everyone gets sinned, everyone gets sent off, everyone gets put on a report. Somehow Kafusi does the same goddamn. <laughs> yeah, it's a fair point, actually. Yeah, the exact same. He gets away with it scot free. What the hell? The guy is basically Josh Maguire. He's got a long and storied history of being a grub. And yet he gets away with it. And I don't understand it. I'm glad Josh McGuire didn't get away with it, but I'm pissed off that Kafusi did. You know, Murray, as a Manly fan, I'd love to get your take on this. I thought the same thing, that there were some dubious decisions of getting people off the field for some pretty minor stuff. 
but there was also some pretty major stuff missed. I thought that Jordan Ricky, I mean, it wasn't missed, but you know, that headbutt on Morgan Harper, for me, that was a send off to me. That was one of the most dangerous things that happened on the weekend. It was deliberate. It, it landed. And I thought the proof was in the pudding because that Morgan Harper guy seems like the most placid, nice, per- nicest person in the world. You yeah. know, he's the kind of guy yeah. when someone gets knocked off their feet, he comes and helps them up. But he was fucking pissed off after that. And that was absolutely deliberate. And he headbutted him flush on the chin. He got a sin bin. And guess what he's got in the judiciary? He's got a fine for that. Yeah. That's where it's bullshit. I mean, if you're going to come down on it and be consistent, to me, a flush hit in the head is a flush hit in the head. Yeah, I agree. And I didn't understand that much like the Kafusi one. I straight up just didn't understand what the refs were thinking on that and why there's nothing being done about it afterwards, really. I think, did he get a week or something? Did I see? He got he got two weeks for the crusher because he did two things in the game, but he got a fine for the headbutt. I mean, I oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Like, unbelievable. Yeah. Headbutts, we should know. That's up there with squirrel gripping. Like, that's something from the 1960s that we we haven't accepted that for a long time. You know, people say, bring back the beef. No one says, bring back the fucking Liverpool gears. But it seems to have got under the radar. So hopefully, as as you know, many have pointed out, it's a teething period and, and uh, you know, there's a, probably going to be a more consistency from this round on. But Xander, I wanted to get your take on this. Outside of the concussion issue, just as a rugby league fan... How did you see Magic Round in terms of a spectacle? Did it did it affect your enjoyment of the games at all? No, it didn't. I, I really enjoyed the round. Like I'm I'm uh, uh, I'm with Mario on this. I think I, you know, it, there were obviously um, you know some inconsistencies here and there, but under the circumstances, I, I thought it was fine. And and as I said, like I I went through this four years ago watching Union. They implemented the exact same protocol. And there was the exact same response. In fact, I was also one of the people who got really shitty at the time. But over the last four years, you've seen, you know, tackling techniques adjust. Um, you've seen a lot less um, sin bins and send-offs, you know, yellow and red cards. Um, and you've just seen the game adjust. And I think it's it's one of those things that it's always, you know, it was extremely jarring because they did, they they chose the 2019 Rugby World Cup to really go all hard out on it. They'd started, started in the Lions series before, but the, the, the World Cup, they went full on and they were uh, sin binning and sending, well, you know, yellow and red carding players, left, right, center. They even bloody yellow carded, um, similar to what happened on the weekend, they, they yellow carded one Wallaby's winger uh, for running forcefully with his, with his elbow, uh, just trying to palm a bloke off, which is sort of what happened. I can't remember which, um, which game it was again, but they brought a play back after a try had been scored and um, you know, judged that uh, uh, there was a, a player running too forcefully with his elbow. Um, so it's like, it's, it, it is deja vu for me. And I, I, I've kind of come, I, you know, uh, I think I've uh, made my peace with it in union at this point. So I was, I was pretty sanguine as a result when I saw it in the NRL. So there's in, that's interesting. So you're obviously, your feeling is that it's going to level out and, and eventually the behavior will adjust and we will get back some semblance of the game we had before Magic Round. But it's interesting you say that it didn't actually hamper your enjoyment of Magic Round anyway. Well, yeah, like I said, you know, um. The uh, the responses that everyone else was having, I'd, I'd kind of, you know, a little bit like the the five stages of grief. I'd been through all that already, so I was just enjoying the footy. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's probably, you know, that w- that would have been a um, – I've been, I've been watching the game with that lens for a little while, thinking, 
that'd be a sin bin in rugby. That'd be a send off in rugby. And, um, you know, and obviously it barely gets a penalty and I'm like, Oh, well, this is just, you know, this is, this is kind of contact sports. We're all going to head down this road now, basically. So I was just, just um, watching it with a sense of curiosity in that sense. Yeah, interesting. How did you guys feel about, you know, the instances where there was a player ducking into a tackle or there was at least, you know, um, some mitigating circumstances for the tacklers, i.e. when they were bumping up off the ball and going into the bottom of the neck and the chin. Did you feel that those instances that people should be sent to the sin bin as some of them were on the weekend or are you happy are you happy enough for that to be the standard that even in cases where it really wasn't it was barely well i say unavoidable in terms of there's obviously always ways that you can adjust your behavior but you know it was a sheer physics thing and and zero intent and there wasn't a lot of contact were you guys still happy to see people sent to the sin bin for those ones Oh, look, with that Tedesco one, that there was only there wasn't many calls that I was unhappy with on the weekend, but that was one. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, he was he was and, running and at knee level basically, right. wasn't he? Yeah, and the Roosters did the right thing. I totally have no problem with them taking him off, gaming the system to get a free interchange. Totally fine. I, I hope that my coach would be smart enough to do that. I have my doubts, um, but it simply <laughs> it should not have even been a penalty. Because literally everybody watching, everybody watching could see that there was nothing whatsoever the player could do. You get in trouble for swinging your, for swinging arms, but you get in trouble for not swinging your arms when you're hit with the shoulder. So this guy, he just was he in trouble for swinging the arm? Was he in trouble for not swinging the arm? He, he got hit in the in the in the um in the peck basically by Tedesco's head. There's absolutely nothing he could have done to avoid tackling him the way he did, apart from simply not tackle him, and that. That one annoyed me. I hope that they'll listen to what people say about that and get it right next time. I I believe they will. There's still going to be mistakes. Hopefully they're few and far between. You know, I don't mind them erring on the side of Sinbin, but a send-off should be, you've got to be sure of it. I think that one was a send-off, wasn't it? And that was way over the top. I'm trying to think. He got Sinbin, didn't he? It was a Sinbin. Yeah, it was a Sinbin. It was still over the top, but at least it's only a Sinbin. So, that's what I mean. It's not the end of the world if you sin bin someone. So get the send offs right, and that's the most important thing I think. And I like, I want to see one or two send offs every week for a while because I think that that's a good thing. It, you know, let's take the issue of player safety seriously and show that we are. You know, I, I've got a, an absolutely wild idea for what might help the referees make the right calls. Why don't we have two referees? <gasps> I know, shocking suggestion. Sorry, I should be shot for suggesting it. Yeah, and look, I don't know if you've seen the, um, the the data online, Mario, doing the rounds this week, but you know, flying in the face of a lot of what PVL is saying is that there was uh, the relationship of two referees and the minimization of injuries, i.e., a lot more foul play picked up, a lot more um, keeping the ruck cleaner, so it's less sloppy, less likely to have those sort of misfirings of contact. That's quite interesting um, in the light of day, isn't it? That, you know, that decision was made, I think at the time for what was labeled a financial decision, but it may have actually had a health repercussion as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes sense. You know, thinking about it, it does make sense. Do you think now with the, with the new framing that PVL could be open to actually reinstating a second referee again? It's hard to see. I, I, I think he's a really stubborn fella. And it's hard to see it happening. So I, I do. I frankly, I don't see it happening. I don't see them coming back 
anytime soon anyway. I hope it will one day, but I don't think soon. Now, just to open up the conversation a little bit more broadly, Xander, obviously this is all about player welfare. Outside of policing high tackles and actually changing behaviour on the field, what other areas do you reckon the NRL should look at in terms of actually improving that picture? Are there other areas of the game on or off the field where we could see less instances of foul play, less instances of high contact and concussion? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, you know, off the field, you're talking about in terms of practicing and training. Well, yeah, it could be practicing and training or it could be um, it could be workshops. It could be kids' participation. Um, it could be anything. So, you know, it's, so Peter Sterling actually made an interesting observation that, um, you know, back in the sort of 60s and 70s, um, you know, legs tackling was was more the norm, um, but that you, you know, were given time to get back at marker. Uh, but now, of course, yeah. you, there's a real disincentive to to make a legs tackle because you basically just allow a quick play of the ball because speed is the, is the key, uh, you know, thing they want to incentivize. So perhaps it's something where they, you know, I mean, I hate to say tweak the rules again, but, you know, you try and incentivize... Yeah legs tackles, um, you know, and I, this could be opening another can of worms, but uh, allowing players to get back to marker or having a bit more of a leeway, maybe slowing the game down a little bit because it's pretty fucking fast, but well, just, mate, that just is adding an incentive for a legs tackle. But you know, you know what I mean though? Like there's, you know, it's not like they need to speed it up more. So maybe something that pulls it back a little bit and incentivizes <laughs> a safer tackling technique isn't such I'm, a bad idea. I don't. I actually don't hate the idea, but Mario, I just can't see the words coming out of PBL's mouth, slowing the game down, not after everything that he's done to engineer the opposite. But could we see leg tackles again, Mario? Could that be a return to the 1960s? I know when I was growing up, not that I was in the 1960s, obviously, but even in, when I was playing mod footy, you know, it was always tackle around the legs even then. I'm talking about in the 1990s. So it doesn't feel like it's actually ancient history. Could you... I know it's a weird picture, but could you see NRL first grade players going back to that kind of tackle as a primary primary system tackle? I mean, it just needs to happen. It just doesn't make sense to me and has never that we reward one type of tackle but punish another type. And a leg tackle is a good tackle, so why punish them for doing it? We're forcing the wrestle and therefore slowing the game down by saying a legs tackle is punished automatically. So you have, therefore, when the option's there, you must have two players in the tackle. Why not open it up to legs tackles by not punishing them? And then maybe we won't have so many gang tackles. And maybe that would, you know, bizarrely speed the game up a little bit because you wouldn't have multiple players tackling at once. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's just a thought. I just would like to see that. I just don't see it happening. You create more second phase play as well because offloads would be easier, um, which wouldn't be a bad thing. It's it's attractive footy to watch, right? Yeah, I'd say yeah, yes and I no. Agree. I'd say yes and no with that because obviously that, you know, there are, I mean, if you ever watch the old Toyota Cup games, they're kind of interesting to watch. But, you know, when someone wins 58-42, um, I don't know how often I could watch a game like that. But, you know, ironically, you know, when I think of the, this is only anecdotal, this is not hard data, obviously, but when I think about the sort of bad head knocks growing up watching the game, they were in leg tackles. Quite a few of those are in leg tackles. I guess you're looking at someone running with high knees, for example. It's easy to get that wrong. You either hit a hip or a knee into the head. I'm actually not convinced that leg tackles alone 
aren't any more, any less dangerous than hitting a, a player any, anywhere else. So, especially when you're the tackler. And, and this is an interesting point. Yeah, that'd be the tackler that. being the one injured. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, ta- the tackler mm. and, and, you know, you'd know this, Xander. I mean, someone like Jake Friend, who had a lot of head knocks, even Boyd, um, mm. you know, they weren't all done when they had the ball. You know, a lot of the time. Yeah, well, Boyd's you know, last one in origin was was him hitting a hip. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, if this is about, remember, this keeping this frame of player welfare, does there need to be more done for the actual policing of tackling style as well, not just the welfare of the ball carrier, but the welfare of the tackler, whether they know it or not. If a player is using a style that's, you know, inevitably going to be doing something that's sort of detrimental to their own health, maybe the NRL could also look at and examine that as well. I know it sounds a bit counterintuitive, but it could potentially be penalties for players that that use poor and how do we poor possibly how, how do we do that? Like, mm. are we how many refs do we need to possibly be policing that? Uh, I yeah, I think you can try and encourage the coaches to you know teach one certain style but ultimately coaches especially someone like Robbo he doesn't want his players injured so he's not going to coach his players to do stuff that's going to injure them you know that injure their own you know people don't mind injuring other players but they don't want to injure their own team I think that's a universal thing yep it could be a case of the NRL puts a mandatory um, number of games that you miss you know if you've had a head knock so regardless of whether or not you're the ball carrier um, or the tackler, there's going to be a disincentive to do it because you're going to miss games. Or maybe a mandatory HIA, you, you, you know, they see anything hit your head, even if you don't go down and look hurt, just a man, you have to go off for an HIA. Even that would mm. probably disincentivize it because, yeah, you might get a free interchange, but only, you know, in theory, but you, if it's a good play, you don't want them going off for 15 minutes. You don't want Teddy or Tommy off for 15 minutes of a game. That's right. And it does strike me that we are only really looking at half of the equation. Yeah. You know, when we realise that so many concussions actually happen when you're the defender. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a really good point. Um, technique and and particularly uh, players tackling and hitting the point of of players' hips or shoulders, hmm. um, or bumping into you know another player's head in a gang tackle. You see a lot of concussions that way. Um, yeah. It, you know, that, and, and there is a, there is an element there of um, you know there are there just are some head knocks that will just inevitably be a lot harder to get out of the game for that reason because it is a it is a you know a collision contact sport that is pretty brutal at times and you, you can't you can't erase miscalculation completely. Mm. Um, but I suppose what you can do is is um, try and try and cut down on the on the careless, dangerous stuff as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what did you guys make of the comments from guys like Trent Barrett, Ricky Stewart, Todd Payton? They all they all were pretty critical of the way that the game was policed during Magic Round. And three three uh, coaches who are not winning games. <laughs> Just yeah. putting it out there. Yeah, you know, although, I mean Ricky's Ricky's got bigger problems than um than, than the concussion changes. I think he needs to get a team that can win a second half of football. What about the comment that Trent said about the, the game becoming Oztag? Are we running a risk that we're actually making a, a two seismic change in trajectory here in terms of what the game looks like? Xander, you said before that, you know, you get a lot more offloads of leg tackles, for example, which would be a good thing. But I pause at that. I don't know if necessarily getting the equilibrium too far out of whack between attack and defense is a good thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just said it before, but, you know, I think 
I think they're a little hysterical um, at this point. They're, they're, they're all coaches of teams who are doing incredibly poorly. And that's a fact. And as I said, I've seen this happening in Union and the game is not, um, you know, turned into Oz tag or, any, or touch football. Exactly. still a contact sport. The game is just adjusted. So you know, it, it'll adjust. You know, the pejorative thing that you'd hear over the last couple of years, whenever there was a soft penalty given was, this isn't fucking rugby union. Is rugby union in your mind, Xander, a good advert for the way that they've, the game is sort of, a, their game has approached these kind of tackles or has, has the game lost something, but it, it had to lose something. It had to concede ground in the interest of player health. Oh, I, I wouldn't, um, you know, and, but I think unions also, um, uh, a victim of the fact that it's a very poorly run sport in Australia, at least the rest of the world, it's not so bad. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's it's not just high high tackles, but it's also just the the range of technical penalties that seem to be proliferating. Um, so that's a, that's a sort of slightly separate discussion, but it's still it's still an enjoyable sport to watch. Um, you know, if if you if you enjoy rugby union, it's not been destroyed by this change. And I think Mario is right when he said it's it's probably necessary. I mean, the NRL is not the NFL. We can't afford to go you know to to effectively um, have a series of class action lawsuits um, with what is known, I suppose, about concussion and is and is continuing to be uncovered. So, I mean, you know, you, you can, you can sign, um, you know, you can get players to, to sign uh, uh, waivers and all kinds of things, but those things don't always stand up. And, you know, longer term, you're going to just completely deplete your playing stocks because there'll be less and less people wanting to play. So I think, I think the game just has to adapt. And I think that's, that's the decision that, that rugby came to worldwide as they saw what was happening with the NFL. You know, they, they paid a, a billions of dollars in one settlement which won't be their last um and they just realized that there needed to be a change of course so that you at least are putting in all best efforts to to minute uh, minimize uh, uh danger to players i personally think this is actually the number one reason why pvl has made the changes and but maybe it explains actually why he's done it towards the middle of the year as opposed to pre-season because um, you know, the, the threat of litigation is so strong. And reading the tea leaves, I think there are rumblings of um, a collection of players in their 40s and 50s who are gearing up to make an illegal assault on the NRL. Um, I don't know the names, but it has been referenced by three or four uh, former players who know the players and know that it's happening. So I do wonder if PVL's got wind of that and has said, all right, we need to make a, a real public statement which would explain why maybe doing it on magic round um, to say that the game is at least in a perception sense, it's very serious about head knocks. I think that's, that's what a lot of this is, you know, it's, it's, it is driven with a forward, you know, a very forward looking view to where the game is going to be in 10 to 20 years time. It's nice to see them thinking that way. I mean, I'm not, I'm not PVL's biggest supporter, but I'm happy to see things like that being thought of and, People, whoever is giving him that advice, I think good on them. I, I think it can be a better game for those changes because I don't want nobody enjoys seeing players writhing on the ground, convulsing after some big head knock. Or if they do, they've they've got something wrong in their heads. As far as I'm concerned, I, yes, I enjoy a good hit. I enjoy a a Steve Maddai sort of hit as, as much as anybody. But you know they've got to be done right, and they can be as. People like Matt I and Safua showed, but 
they consistently would do the big hits or Dean Farre is another good example. Nigel Plum, those guys did lot, lots of the really big hits that they weren't getting penalised for it because they were doing it the right way. It can be done. You don't have to be a bloody thug like like um, your Sam Thiday's, your Paul Gallons, your, your Sam... Josh McGuire's. Josh McGuire's. Yeah, Felice Cafusi's. There's, you know, there's too many players like that. Let's rub out the grubs. And then this won't be such an issue when you get people like that you know, when they're getting punished consistently, teams won't select them anymore and that gets them out of the game. You know, Mario, you said before that you, you don't like the sight of players lying on the ground writhing in agony, but I put it to you, sir. What if it was Cameron Smith? <laughs> uh, writhing in agony, I'm totally fine with. Convulsing from a head knock, I would not be happy with. Xander, do you agree or are you pro-convulsing? <laughs> I mean, you know, to be honest, whenever he's given an interview, it sounds to me like he's convulsing. But, um, yeah, I think I'm with Mario on this one. All right, guys, I think we've interrogated Magic Round enough. That was a really good chat, actually. Um, look, uh, we'll just touch on a few final topics before we sign off and do some NRL trivia. Gear yourself up. Get your neurons firing. But I wanted to talk about the expansion. Now, I think there are two groups that have come out over the last week and have officially uh, put forward their bids to be that now 17th team in the competition. Uh, I want to talk Firehawks, lads, and I don't know how you know intimately familiar you are with their bid, but um, has anyone seen their official launch yet? Included some bullshit in there where they said, oh, it's a, it's a unique brand, just utterly ignoring that there's already a team in Australia called the Firehawks. Not the rugby league, sure. No, they're but- called the Firebirds. It's a netball team. Oh, it is too. It's, yeah, the Queensland Firebirds, my bad. But still, it's effectively the same thing. But portraying themselves as being completely unique was a bit rich, I thought. Well, look, I'll read you some of the statements, fellas, um, we'll, and I'll get your take on this. So this is what the club spokesman said today. said, uh, like the Firehawk, we are a unique Australian brand, as Mario said. We're a raptor that changes the environment for the better to sustain it. In what it does, it is represented representative of an outlaw. Our bold colours of black and orange pay homage to the history of Easts, while the blue and gold pay homage to our home city of Brisbane. Like the legendary Firehawk, a bird of prey, we are hunters, not cannibals. Now, this is these are quite fiery words. I'm, I'm enjoying this. But is it enough for a club to get an NRL licence in terms of having to compare its sexual appetite to Jeffrey Dahmer? What does being a, being a cannibal have to do anything, Xander? So they're, they're basically um, making the claim that... Uh, uh, even though they're based in Brisbane, they're not going to cannibalise uh, the Broncos' support. That they're going to be searching, they're going to be targeting new markets. It's the non-Broncos Brisbane market that they're, they're searching for, and that's that's to to try and bolster their claim because the Dolphins are in that kind of southwest corridor, kind of between the Gold Coast and Brisbane, and they have more of a logical claim that they're not going to cannibalise the existing Queensland support base for the Broncos or the Titans, whereas it's a little bit less clear with East because they're nestled in Brisbane. So that's what that's about. Well, um, so I'll put it yeah, to you, you know, I'll, I'll put it to you, Xander. It says that we're hunters, not cannibals. So that means they can still hunt the Brisbane Broncos. Yeah. Um, they can still new they territories can, and new, new people. They they're can just still not, kill they're just them. They're eating their own. <laughs> exactly. They're just not devouring the team. I don't think there's enough of a distinction there personally. Um, but there wasn't. It's a questionable choice of words. I think it's fair to say. They can devour the Broncos. Good riddance to them. Yeah, I, th- I think the, I think the Broncos are busy devouring themselves. So I was about to say. Right. Yeah, that's right. They've been eating their own entrails for the last two years. Now, this also came out from the the Firehawks that 
The club is a strong balance sheet. Apparently, it's got $80 million in assets and will operate from a $7.5 million community centre of excellence, uh, which will commence construction in October 2021. And as you said, Xander, coming from the top, they said the club is actually focusing on attracting a new, younger audience with either 4.4 million casual sport fans between the ages of 18 to 34 who apparently don't currently support the Broncos or the Titans. Now, this is interesting. What? How would you guys define casual sports fan? Because that could just be someone that doesn't give a fuck about league, right? It's a bit of a strange one, but I, I think it's more that there's probably a whole bunch of people up there that are disenfranchised Newtown Jets fans and or just people who are NRL fans without but they don't like the Broncos. And so they're sort of waiting for a team. And I do know of some such people who are, you know, who've moved to Queensland and they were fans of the Bulldogs or whatever, but they've fallen out of love with them, but they'd be happy to jump onto a new, a new brand, something they can, you know, really, really feel like they're at the ground level of. So I'm sure there'd be, there's going to be people like that, whether or not there's enough to really make any decent numbers, at least the, the Dolphins might have some amount of, of dedicated fans that would come over. You know, when I was reading it on the weekend, I actually thought the Dolphins sounded like the stronger of the bids. Um, All right, sell Mario they, and they I. Seem, well, it's it's a little bit, you know, exactly what I've just said, basically. I don't know how much more I can add to it, but they, they sit, you know, more neatly between um, Brisbane and, uh, uh, and and the Gold Coast. So they, they, they do have a distinct identity and they also do have an existing, you know, infrastructure. They have their own stadium, Um uh, and agreements there where uh, they're already well set up. Um, they're also well financed. They don't have to worry about money. They've got financial backers um, and uh, sponsors already to come on board. And they also have a strong sort of grassroots, um, you know, uh, player nursery, which which the Firehawks also have with their association with these. So they're similar in that sense. But I think that of the two, you know, they they don't have to come up with with um, uh, I suppose. Um, uh, cute phrases like "we're hunters, not cannibals," because it's clear. So, yeah, if, if I was have, had to choose, I'd probably go for the dolphins. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I'm, as as an animal, dolphins are renowned rapists. So maybe their first signing will be Jared Hayne if it goes. To <laughs> uh, but look, we're going to go to some NRL trivia, boys. Start with you, Mario. Don't panic. Which country went through the 2014 Rugby League Four Nations tournament undefeated? Uh, didn't the Kiwis win that one? So let's say New Zealand. New Zealand is correct. Well done, Mario. You are off the mark. Martial magic. It was, yes, that's right. It was probably in the, I think he got the golden boot that year, didn't he? He was, he was in prime form. All right, Xander, pressure's on. Over to you. Who was named as the NRL's coach of the year in 2014? Mm -hmm. Now, because it's a difficult one, I'm going to give you multiple choice. Was it Brian Smith? Yep. Was it Des Hasler? Or was it Ivan Cleary? Oh, well, let me think about that. Um, Brian Smith, Des Hasler, or Ivan Cleary? Hmm. Um, the Holy Trinity the of Death. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. Uh, well, Des had, had won the... Um, had won the comp only a couple of years before, but they weren't from memory that crash hot in 2014. Um, Brian Smith, um, who was he even coaching? I was wondering that. His niece is under 12. Yeah, he had that, 
Yeah, was it was he at the Eels? That point, Mate, you you Mine. can't ask the host questions. That's not how the quiz works. All right. Well, I, I Ivan Cleary, Ivan Ivan kicked off. He was really good at the start. Um, like he, I think he burst onto the scene um, and did pretty well from memory, and then had his slump. Um, Got time. They, they like to give it to an up and coming. I'm going to say it was given to Ivan Cleary. Ivan Cleary is correct. Well done, Xander. It is one apiece. He, he deserved it. He deserved it. That was the year they had the most like a. Uh, a 2021 Roosters level of injury toll, and they still finished right, uh, finished fourth from memory. And by the way, you said Manly didn't go well in 2014. We finished equal first with South, with the Roosters. I just remember us, um, you know, being yet another uh, minor premiership year for us. Manly just didn't register for me. That I mean, we were leading the entire year. And then we just <laughs> anyway, let's, let's, let's move on. Mario, in, in Xander's defence, he was actually referring to Anthony Watmau's legal cases, and um, they didn't go that well that year. So question two, Mario, this is for you. Who was the first player to captain the Cronulla Sutherland Sharks? Who gives a fuck? I'll give you multiple choice. Was it yeah, Greg Ryan, it. Michael Porter, or Monty Porter? I've never heard of any of them, but I know a Greg Ryan, so I'm just going to go with him. It was not Greg Ryan, which gives you an opportunity to steal here, Xander. So who are the other two? Michael Porter or Monty Porter? I like the name Monty. I'm going to go with Monty Porter. Monty Porter is correct. Xander moves on the two points. (laughs) Well played. I like the fact you could win this game by just liking the name Monty. That's what's brilliant about this game. All right, Xander, which Canberra Raiders player passed the milestone of 200 games and 1,500 points for the club during 2017? Oh, for God's sake, everyone knows that one. Oh, I don't. <laughs> um, uh, let's see, 20, 2017. Uh, I, I realise I should know this one because I remember this at the time. Um being announced it's just really frustrating uh i'll give you a clue i'll give you a clue mate. No! It's, not, it's not marshall chalk no oh good ah! that's helpful or brett mullins <laughs> uh yeah so i'm sure i'm trying okay I'll, I'll give you one more clue who was right it's not heath lestrange <laughs> he played for camera no he never did that's the throwaway mario that's the brilliance. Uh, five <laughs> seconds, Xander. Five, four, three, two. Mick Croker. <laughs> Jared, Jared what did you say? Mick Croker. Jared, I said Mick Croker. Fuck, I meant Jared Croker. <laughs> okay. Mick Croker's been retired for ages. It was not Mick Croker, so Mario, the answer was? Jared, of course. Jared Croker, indeed. I thought, for a second there, Xander. I thought and you said, was a croker. I thought you said McCroker. Like it was some Scottish Scottish Hebrew legend. I was like, uh, it's, I was thinking to myself, it was probably Jared Croker. And then for some reason, my head went to Mick Croker, um, which, yeah, anyway. I mean, for a start, his name was Mick Croker. You can't even get his name right. I used to call him Croker. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, Mario, After what happened in 20, 2004. This is for the win, mate, okay? Who was the NRL's top try scorer in 2017? Was it? You get multiple choice. choice. Yeah, you do. You get okay. multiple choice. 
Was it Alex Johnston? Was it Suasali Vunavalu? Or was it Semi Rajradra? Oh, Jesus. That's, a, good that's a very good options. That's a tough question, mate. Good luck with it. Oh. Um, I have a feeling it was it was Guni Gugu. That's none of them. Gugu? <laughs> Unavalu is his nickname. 2017, the giant year for the storm. It was Vunavalu. Congratulations, Yay! Mario. You have won. NRL Malaysian style trivia, NRL trivia box, uh, which we need to shorten that name down. But well done, mate. You've won 3 2. Bad luck, Xander. It was close. If only Mick Crocker was the try scoring machine or Mick Croker, then uh, you would have won. But uh, that was fun, boys. I enjoyed that. Um, do we have any closing comments for the listeners? Any Anything you want to vent about before we go? Yeah, don't watch Channel 9. They just employed Cam Smith, but fuck Channel 9. Listeners, thank you very much for tuning in again to TVT. We will be back probably not next week, let's be honest, maybe in about three and a half weeks' time. Until then, enjoy yourself. Count of three, uh, you have to name your best Queensland, new Queensland team that isn't one of the franchises, okay? Rednecks. The Rednecks, Xander? Inbreds. The Inbreds. And I've got the deep-fried Pauline Hansons. Uh, for obvious reasons, she was a fish and chip owner before she became a mainstream racist. Which club deserves to be in the NRL competition? I need your elevator pitch, Xander. Go for it simple the inbreds should be there because you know look nobody produces their own like a bunch of uh, inbreds and they'll have a playing talent that will be genetically inferior but there'll be plenty of them because they'll always have another cousin to marry mm, i like it what about you mario i'm concerned that all three of our options are actually exactly the same as each other but if we must find something... <laughs> there's, there's a thematic connection isn't there yeah if, if there must be a differentiation of some sort i'm going to say that the rednecks are you know, they're all Trump supporters and nothing nothing stops them from winning, even losing. So no matter what, they've still won in their mind. So my team will always win whether they lose or not. The deep fried Pauline Hansons, A, you got yourself a hell of a, a mascot. You know, it would be a giant inflatable red-haired crazy lady who would just sort of yell racist obscenities at the crowd, but obviously not the white members of the crowd, just the the brown visitors. And And, and I think as a bit of a twist with my team, the halfback would always have a deep-fried penis. Um, it, it's a ceremony that would be held before the game. You know, Canberra had the Viking clap. Um, instead, the deep-fried Pauline Hansen's halfback would have to dip his Roger into a vat of boiling oil. <laughs>